This is Cover Story with Stephanie Shanikan. It's a show where I have conversations with folks about the song covers we all love and examine the stories behind them. I'm interested in uncovering the personal stories about how we connect with these great songs and what these songs mean to our lives. Ultimately, I get my guests to choose a version of the song they prefer and to defend their choice. This episode, the cover of all covers. We are talking about the song Respect, written and recorded in 1965 by American soul artist, the great Otis Redding. What you want, honey, you got it. And what you need, baby, you got it. All I'm asking, you when I But that's likely not the version you know of this song. You're probably thinking of this one. What does Aretha Franklin do with this song that makes an already amazing song and transforms it into an anthem? In this episode, with my guest, Jeremy Root, we'll break down the ingredients that create that magic in the song. And also, we'll debate and choose between the Otis version and the Aretha version. Here's our conversation. Hello, Jeremy. Hi, Stephanie. <laughs> I'm so glad that you came back in to talk to me about this particular song. Our listeners who listened to our first little season of Cover Story will recognize your voice. Jeremy is a good friend of mine, I've known him for a while. We were both on the Ragtag True-False board, um, and I think that's where we met. I believe right? that's right, yeah. <laughs> and so and Jeremy is an attorney um, who has deep thoughts about the world, about the big questions we ask um, ourselves about who we are, why we are, where we are, um, and he takes that into his practice. And We didn't get into this last time, but I would love to get into what brought you to black music because you do li listen to a range of music but a lot of black music and you, you seem to have a great understanding of black culture and so on so can we start there and then we'll get to the song sure you know probably the the nature of my understanding came through college mm -hmm. um where i grew up in oregon and there, there are not a lot of uh, black folks in oregon and then I went to school in Maine, where also not a lot of black <laughs> not, folks. Right. Um, but it turns out Bates College, where I went, um, was also the alma mater of Benjamin Mays, who later became president of Morehouse College and right. was president of Morehouse College for 27 years. And my first year at Bates, the school inaugurated an exchange program with Morehouse College and Spelman College, which are historically black colleges in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, Morehouse is a men's college and Spelman is a women's college. Mm -hmm. So as I grew into my major, which was American Cultural Studies, a lot of my academic interests overlapped with race in America, but very few of my personal experiences mm -hmm. had. And so I decided I was going to try to do this exchange program at Morehouse College in Atlanta. And that is probably where I learned the most yes. of the things that I, that I know and mm -hmm. understand about black culture. 
it was a phenomenal experience. Mm-hmm. It certainly um, helped shape who I am. And, um, you know, I answered the question in a million different ways from polite to impolite. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, what, what are you doing here? Mm-hmm. You know, why? Bet. Because um, this is radio or podcast. Um, so you are a white man. Always have mm-hmm. been, always will be. That's just the way it is. Mm-hmm. It, Morehouse is a black college. There were 3,000 men there when I was there, and three of them were white, including me. Um, one was an athletic transfer from the University of Iowa who was there on a track scholarship mm-hmm. because they needed a decathlete, mm-hmm. and he was a decathlete. Mm-hmm. Another one was a person who just matriculated there as a freshman and was on a different vibe than me. Uh <laughs> <laughs> and, and then, then there you. was me, you know, and and it, I just told people honestly that it was a great opportunity. Mm-hmm. Morehouse is a great college. I wanted to come down here. I had this opportunity to learn more about the American South, to learn more about black culture, which is a huge part of American culture. Mm-hmm. And uh, I did my best to immerse myself mm-hmm. in my studies and my friends and my peers mm-hmm. down there. And uh, it was a, a really wonderful experience at a very unique time. Mm-hmm. When I learned that about you, I was like, aha, that's, that's <laughs> why. That's why Jeremy and I vibe because you, you are comfortable in your skin, but there's a proximity that you have to the situation so that you can not only empathize, but also be brave and bold because you've, you've had to, to do that for a long time. The other day, my husband and I and Jeremy and and his wife sat down um, and I got a gift from Amanda and Jeremy and the gift was uh, 45 um, and it was respect. On one side, Otis Redding, on the other side, Aretha Franklin. And I was so excited to get that gift. Um, And then we were talking about the series and so on. I was like, Jeremy, I need to to get you back, back on. What should we talk about? And he's like... What's in your hand? <laughs> Let's just talk about that. So, so here we are. We're going to talk about Respect, the great song written by Otis Redding in 1965 and then covered by Aretha Franklin in 1967. Well, it's a, I think it's an important song to talk about on Cover Story because it is maybe the preeminent cover of all time. Mm. It is a song that came to be the definitional song of uh, iconic, legendary musician, Aretha Franklin. And it was also written by an iconic, legendary musician named Otis Redding. Right. And the song itself is a wonderful, amazing song. And the way Aretha Franklin reinvented the song Mm -hmm. for herself Mm -hmm when she released it in 1967, is truly remarkable. Right, right. Well, um, that, that's a lofty claim for it to be the preeminent um, cover. And t- I would tend to agree with you, but let, let's talk about why. So the moment is 1965. What is going on in the United States in 1965? And how does Otis Redding's version transform in Aretha Franklin's version. In 1965, you have the Civil Rights Movement Mm -hmm. underway in in the United States. The Voting Rights Act has just been passed. Um, The idea that 
Black Americans deserve respect mm -hmm. is important. Absolutely. The, the idea that a black man is entitled to respect uh, is is important and is current mm -hmm. in the in the discussion in the political discussions of mm -hmm. the day. You've also got black music emerging into pop charts mm -hmm. through Motown, most most well known, but also through Stax and Volt in Memphis. Yeah, in Memphis. Mm -hmm. And so Barry Gordy's vision in in Detroit was, I want to tap into the white market. Mm -hmm. And Jim Stewart's vision in Memphis mm -hmm. was, I'm going to record phenomenal black musicians That's it. Mm -hmm. and sell their records. Yep. And so you've got Otis Redding was the leading star on the Stax Vault label mm -hmm. um, together with Booker T. Jones. Isaac mm -hmm. Hayes was there as mm -hmm. well, Absolutely. played keyboard on the record. Mm -hmm. um, and so you have this song that is about a black man insisting he deserves respect when he gets home. Mm -hmm. Maybe because he doesn't get it outside. when he's outside. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's a great song on a great album, Otis mm -hmm. Blue, mm -hmm. um, where there's some other covers on there, too, where he was at the time uh, recorded a cover mm -hmm. of Rolling Stone's Satisfaction. And so there's a lot of crossover happening. Mm -hmm. Then along comes Aretha Franklin, who has had an amazing life already. She's 24 years old in 1967 when this record comes mm -hmm. out. Um, she has two children. She was a teen mom. She was, had her first child when she was 12 years yep. old and another when she was 14. Um, she was in a marriage at that time to Ted White. That she, They got married in 1961. They're actually, the recording of the record that it's on, I Never Loved a Man the Way I Love You, um, started in Muscle Shoals, Muscle Alabama. Shoals. There's a story. There's a <laughs> big a great story. story. Yeah. A big story mm -hmm. about the recording of that mm -hmm. song. Only only one of the songs on the record was recorded there because Aretha's husband got into a very serious big altercation. Fight. Yes. And they had to leave. And they had to leave. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. it wasn't clear that the record would ever be made. And then Aretha agreed to record with those musicians, but in New York. Mm -hmm. Jerry Wexler, who was the producer at Atlantic wanted to record Aretha Franklin. He was familiar with the work that she'd done for Columbia. And Columbia was not as tapped into the black music market as Atlantic was, and was recording her more as a sort of chamber jazz uh, artist. She wanted to be more. Um, she could be more, obviously. She called Jerry Wexler and said, I've left Columbia, I'm ready to sign for with Atlantic. Mm -hmm. And I have an idea about this Otis Redding song. <laughs> and now we have it, right? So Muscle Shoals, that whole story, please, um, listeners, please Google it. It's it's a sweet tea story. I mean, it's full of it's full of drama. But what I think is very interesting about Aretha Franklin coming from Detroit, also, right? Mm -hmm. But choosing not to go to Motown, the the Motown route allowing herself to keep her full self because arguably Motown was more curated, more carefully structured. And I don't think there's a there's that kind of thing with Aretha Franklin, right? So um so we so we have her full self in this song. What does she actually do to it? What are the what are the choices that she makes as a musician? We know she was also an incredible piano player. 
Um, and then she's got her distinctive voice. So, so those, those two are given. Otis Redding is already a wonderful singer. I mean, he did Sitting on the Dock of the Bay. He did Try a Little Tenderness, right? Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So we know him for those songs. But somehow Aretha Franklin takes respect from under him and does something to it that puts her version, we're not going to make our judgments now, but seemingly above Otis Redding's. So she does a couple of things. You know, the most well-known thing that she does to the song is she comes up with a, a new bridge. R-E-S-P-E-C-T, find out what it means to me. That is not in the Otis Redding original. No, that was not. that was Aretha's idea. Mm-hmm. And she worked with her sisters who sang backup together with Sissy Houston on the song. Uh, so hold on. <laughs> so that's pretty amazing. So it's Irma Franklin, um, Carolyn Franklin, and Sissy Houston, who happens to be the mother of Whitney. <laughs> Carry on. <laughs> yeah, correct. So, so immense talent in that room. Immense, immense talent. And so they come up with this backup thing where they sock it to me, sock it to me, sock it to me. You know, and the interplay between them on that iconic portion of the song, which is truly hers and hers alone, transforms the song Absolutely. into, into a, an anthemic hit in mm-hmm. a way that it wasn't yet. Mm-hmm. And then you also have the gender inversion mm-hmm. that takes place, where it means something completely different for a black woman mm-hmm. to be asserting this Absolutely. demand and yes. say, no, no, you will respect mm-hmm. me right. when I come home. Right, right, right. <laughs> I've been out working and mm-hmm. you will respect me. Mm-hmm. I'm entitled to that, I mm-hmm. deserve it. Mm-hmm. And it dovetailed so wonderfully with the civil rights movement mm-hmm. that's taking place, with the feminist movement that's taking place and the women's rights movement that's taking place. and it became an anthem that mm-hmm. was relatable to everyone. To everyone, yes. And the inversion is, he says, hey, little girl, you're so sweet, you're sweeter than honey. Hey, little girl, you're sweeter than honey. And I'm about to give you all of my money. But all I want and then she takes it, turns it around and says, I'm going to give you all my money, but when I come home, I want my propers. And to have a woman take on that role in 1967, I'm sure, was shocking to a lot of people. Um, And you've mentioned the feminist movement, but I would also step further and say the black feminist movement. Absolutely. Right? That feminism up to that point and even beyond had not really done right by black women. And so Aretha Franklin... She then takes this on, I I would say, for black women. I think you're right that a lot of people can relate to it. But as a black woman myself, I feel very much that this is a song about black women. You know, what what they go through, what they've always gone through, and what they continue to, to go through in this country. This is Cover Story with Stephanie Shanikan. We'll be right back. Thank you. 
So um, Otis Redding, his version is basically, yes, it's during the civil rights movement, but it's also very much he's downtrodden, you know, like he's a, he's a man who just wants to be loved mm-hmm. and so on. Mm-hmm. Some, some critics have said the, the respect he's asking for is very sexual, um, but we can take that and we can turn it and say it's also about what's going on in the country, right? Right. It is not deliberate or intentional beyond what it says, mm-hmm. I think, because it would, to make a civil rights record out of it in 1965 would have been a bigger challenge, I think, than he wanted to take on. And Excellent point. And, mm-hmm. and so making a love record mm-hmm. about, come on, just give me a little respect when mm-hmm. I get home, you know, mm-hmm. whatever that may mean. It, it was more palatable mm-hmm. um, and, and an easier message to deliver. Absolutely. Uh, and, and really, it's a lot of things happen in those intervening two years. Um, you've got the Black Power movement that's becoming more salient and strong between 65 and 67. Mm-hmm. You know, you've also got Aretha Franklin, who is thinking about these issues and is so careful and so supportive the daughter of a, a very strong black preacher as well. She marches with her father. She's um, she's very close to the movement, right? Right, right. But but is not. She always maintained this sort of detachment so mm-hmm. that she could cross over, mm-hmm. so that she wouldn't get pigeonholed mm-hmm. or trapped. Yeah. You know, in the way that some I'm thinking here about do. yeah, I'm thinking here about Nina Simone. The same, right? The same. Very um, different paths. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there's a message there that was resonant in 65 with Otis's version, but maybe sublimated mm-hmm. a bit more that is much, just much more in the foreground mm-hmm. with Aretha Franklin's version. Yeah, much more accessible. Much more accessible. Um, with this song, Respect, we are allowed to come across the Otis Redding version. It's a love song. That's what he does. That's who he is. But we're living in that moment, so we can also think about what's happening around us. Then in the Aretha version, we get there much quicker because of the way she brings it. I know we've talked about the R-E-S-P-E-C-T, which really puts a a punctuation mark, like an exclamation mark on it, right? Um, But what about the, the way that Otis Redding sings, his the way he articulates, the way he... Um, his voice flows with the instrumentation. Yeah, so the instrumentation is a lot more spare mm-hmm. um, on the Otis Redding version. You've got some horns that are there with providing a little kind of the counter stabs mm-hmm. like, in the same way that the backup vocals do on the Aretha version. Baby, you got it. All I'm asking for But he's a little just more languid, you know, great word in <laughs> in the way he approaches the lyric. And, you know, he comes from a, a more of a shouty tradition than Aretha Franklin, who's obviously very centered mm-hmm. in the mm-hmm. gospel church. And so, you know, as much as I love Otis Redding, no one's ever going to put him forward as the best, you know, musical voice mm-hmm. of, a, of, of a generation mm-hmm. in the way that they do right. for Aretha Franklin. Mm-hmm. She was just a musical genius, so talented mm. with the piano, um, with the way she could sing, and that comes through so mm-hmm. clearly on the song. Mm-hmm. Could you attempt to describe her voice? Her voice is unmistakable to me. Uh, I hear Aretha Franklin, and I know it's Aretha Franklin mm-hmm. from the first couple of notes. 
it's full. She projects so strongly and she, with her intonation, she is careful with the way she bends. And, you know, I think the natural successor to her and the next person in the line that I think of is Whitney Houston, of course, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. um, where you just have full command over what you're doing with your vocal cords. Oh, yes. It's miraculous and mm -hmm. uh, wonderful to listen to. Absolutely. It's, it's distinctive. So as usual, Jeremy walked with his props <laughs> and he brought in um, his, al his two albums, um, Aretha Franklin's version and Otis Redding's version. Um, what strikes me about these two album covers, I'll let you talk about them because I think there's something here in the album covers that um, is worth considering. You know, the, the album covers are similar in that they both show the head uh, and in Aretha's case, the shoulders of a woman. Mm -hmm. um, but in the Otis version, you've got this white blonde woman yes. who's in the, you know, the record's called Otis Blue and she's got this kind of blue wash mm -hmm. over over the pictures and, and it's shadowy looking sort of bedroomy mm -hmm. scene. Right. Um, and in Aretha's album, the cover is Miss Franklin wearing, I think it's a dress with mm -hmm. these white beads, but it's, you know, it's just her, uh, no, no doubt about who this is. And, you know, this was her first solo album on Atlantic, the label that made her into the person that we know mm -hmm. today. Mm -hmm. And here she is. Right. And I think it speaks to what you just said, the fact that in 65, Otis Redding wasn't trying to be a Nina Simone. He wasn't trying to be a James Brown. He was Otis Redding trying, trying to make some good music. And though Stax... I think did an incredible job of letting black artists be black artists, like bring their whole ethnicity and their whole being to the sound. The choices that were made to put a white woman on the cover of this album, it rubs me the wrong <laughs> way a bit, right? Like it's, it's, it's a little strange. Um, but Aretha is on her cover. Um, you mentioned Ted White, her husband earlier. And every time I hear her sing this song, I also wonder about the kind of control Ted White had as her manager. Wasn't he her, her he was. agent or her manager? Um, and this song being her way of trying to take that power back. That's my, fan that's my fantasy. I, I don't think it's a fantasy. Mm -hmm. I, th I, I think that's very real dynamic mm -hmm. that was at play. You know, they divorced two years after this record came out. Um, they had a very difficult relationship and the recording of this record was difficult part because of that of and and so it's i don't think it's an accident that she grabbed hold of this otis redding mm -hmm. song and mm -hmm. decided i'm going to make this into my own song a statement you know but you know, one of the funny things about it is in 1967 that song didn't go to number one huh he, she later had a series of number one hits, but mm -hmm. Respect wasn't, wasn't one of them. one of them. them. Mm -hmm. um, and now when we think about it, that's sort of amazing because by, with the benefit of 50 years of history, we say this is one of the iconic songs yeah, of all time. Of all time. I know, you know, when she passed in 2018, all the, all the major publications were writing about her and um, Respect was the first song that they would talk about as her legacy. Um, speaking of legacy, I'd love to think about 
what this song means in this moment. Um, we are maybe two weeks out from the overturning of the Roe v. Wade decision by the Supreme Court. Knowing what we know about this song and its meaning for women's rights, um, knowing what we know about Aretha herself, who had to give birth to a child when she was 12 years old, um, as an attorney who has had a lot of time to think about laws like this and their um, impact on society. Could, could you speak a little bit about the importance of this song for this moment? It couldn't be more relevant. Uh, the idea that women deserve respect, mm -hmm. are entitled to respect, deserve to control their bodies, mm -hmm. what they need mm -hmm. for, to access medical care, it's vital. And every woman should sing this song and say, I want my propers. Mm -hmm. And if my propers, my propers. <laughs> are to have a, 12, have, a, have a child when you're 12 years old, that's the, what, what life, the hand life deals you as mm -hmm. adult Miss Franklin, okay, let's support that and mm -hmm. respect that and dignify that. Mm -hmm. And if the propers are to make a different choice mm -hmm. when faced with those circumstances, and let her do that. Let her do that mm -hmm. too. Mm -hmm. Because that is what I believe mm -hmm. humans should be entitled to, right. control their bodies. Right. R-E-S-P-E-C-T, right? Right. Um, she also adds on this on the on that chorus, TCB, which is taking care of business, <laughs> you know, and it's my business, um, what I choose to do with, with the choices that I make for my family, for my body, and so on. So this song lives on, Jeremy. This song lives on for sure. As usual, I want to uh, put you in the hot seat and ask you to imagine that we have a hundred points to give out. Um, how much are you going to give to Otis Redding, the writer of the song, and how much will you give to Aretha Franklin? So I've got to give Otis a fair share. Okay. Um, because he did write the song, and it came to us through him, and through his genius as a musician and songwriter. But... Aretha took the song away from him. Uh, she, she wrote the iconic portion that's her own. Um, without that and without her voice and without her, the song would be on the scrap heap of history. Mm -hmm. The second song on the first side of Otis Blue. Great song, but no mm -hmm. one would know about it. So I'm going to say Aretha Franklin gets 90 points and Otis gets 10. I, I'm sorry, Otis, but uh, your song is wonderful, obviously. And without you, um, uh, it would never be here. But that's where I come down. Mm -hmm. Oof, that's a tough one. Um, but I, I understand. I do understand. I think I will agree with you for the most part. I might give her 80 and give Otis 20. Let's give the brother a little more. <laughs> a little bit more, but... A little um, bit more respect. A little bit more respect. <laughs> But since he did not spell it out for us, right, right. <laughs> we're going to give most of it to Aretha Franklin. All right. Thank you very much for coming in, Jeremy. This, as always, was a joy to talk to you about music, but certainly this iconic pair. Thank you. My pleasure. That's another episode of Cover Story with Stephanie Shanakan. I'm Stephanie Shanakan. 
We're talking about the songs we love, the stories behind them, and how they live on through variations, through interpretations, through covers. Next episode, we look at the song I'm Here by Fantasia Barino and Cynthia Erivo. Those two outrageously talented singers, Fantasia and Cynthia Erivo, face off next episode with my guest and me on Cover Story with Stephanie Shanikan. Cover Story with Stephanie Shanikan is produced by Janet Saidi, Ryan Famuliner, and editor Aaron Hay, with me, Stephanie Shanikan. You can find more about this podcast on Twitter at KBIA and at Vox Mag, and in the current issue of Vox Magazine at voxmagazine.com. See you next time on Cover Story with Stephanie Shanikan.